Okay, look, you know how you're always talking about how you can simulate all that stuff on your computer? You know? What's the difference? Why can't we simulate a girl? I don't know. I, I guess I could, but why? It's two-dimensional on the screen. It's, it's not flesh and blood, Gary. But what about your girl in um, Canada? You can't. The girl's no morals. I don't know. Right, welcome everyone. This is episode 25 of the Comics in Motion podcast. I am Chris Phelps and my good friend and co-host is Mr. Dave Horrocks. Hey Chris and hi guys. Welcome to the Comics in Motion podcast. What we like to do here is we like to review media like movies, TV shows and games that are based on comic books. Myself, I'll be looking at the media from the perspective of a long-time comic book fan, and my co-host Chris will be reviewing purely from that media perspective, and we'll walk through our given topic of the week and give our different thoughts on it. What we also like to do, we also like to spoil everything, so if you don't want to be spoiled, then hit that pause button, go off and watch this movie that we're going to watch this week, and then come back to us and give us a listen then. So Chris had a had a really interesting week. Some good feedback for both the Judge Dread review and also the bonus episode that we did with Jeremy Holt as well. Oh yeah, the, the Judge Dread has gone really well. It's still going strong as we speak. Uh, some great interactions. We even had questions about the bikes today, Dave. What's happened to the bikes? And uh, you know, in the trivia I've been looking at, it's a case of the stunt crew were the only ones who could ride the proper Judge Dread bikes. The one Stallone drove which we had said this in the, the episode it was actually a moped with a load of um bells and whistles on it but they actually had a uh, suits up by so yeah a, bit of daft, a little bit of trivia there but regarding the episode with jeremy absolutely fantastic not only is he a great guy and he's a great graphic novel we've made a good friend of the podcast as well and and, and we've had so many new followers and interactions listening we, you know we want to thank you all thank jeremy as well yeah, absolutely. Great guy and, and really great to talk to him about his book there. Yeah, he was, he was good, Dave. And I've told, as I said in the episode, it's made me pick up a comic for the first time since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's great. And um, so we'll, we'll have more of those coming up as well. So at this point, Dave, you usually jump in with a review. Now, I have a feeling we may have one. So can I give you the drum roll? So we're going to go... Do we have any reviews, Dave? (laughs) (laughs) Very good, very good. So we do have a review. Strange that. It's it's funny that you you just happen to know that I've got one in my pocket this week. So this is actually across, this is our first review across from the US, and it's from Dog Mum. (laughs) (laughs) Don't laugh. (laughs) so it says love 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 this thing i listen to this thing wherever i don't want to listen to the sound of my sister's voice sorry sissy thanks again oh brilliant dog mum that is the best name i've ever come across that is fantastic not in a nasty way in a a real appreciative i'm clapping my hands way fantastic that's proper made me giggle that dave brilliant absolutely brilliant (laughs) name it's a class name. But, yeah, please keep the reviews coming, everyone. The support has been fantastic. And the listeners, the, the viewers, everything is just going up now. And so we must be doing something right, Dave. And thank you, everyone. And if you want to give us some more reviews, get on there and give us some reviews on iTunes or Stitcher. We really appreciate it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to follow us on the social media as well, you can get us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash comics in motion podcast, or you can get us on Twitter at comics in motion P. So if you, if you want to like and give us a follow on either of those platforms, that'd be lovely. So Chris, I thought I'd expose you to uh, a little bit of 80s nostalgia this week and uh, something a little bit different. So we're going to review the 1985 movie Weird Science. Oh boy, are we going to review it, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> now, I must admit, Dave, when you suggested it to me, it's one of them films as a kid, always on my radar, you know, because like friends watched it and stuff like that. And, it, and like you say, it has a cult following. But yeah. Anyway, I'll let you go into the comic stuff, Dave. A really interesting subject this week. I've got to applaud you because it's a great topic this is going to be. It is a little bit of left field. And, and you know, when we started out, we, we wanted to make sure we didn't just focus on the big two, you know, Marvel and DC properties. And so we want to do things that are a bit more out there. And probably a lot of people don't realize that this has an actual comic background. The Weird Science comic was a bi-monthly magazine which was published by EC Comics back in, in between 1950 and 1953. So if you think back right to it was either our first or second episode, I, I think it might have been our first. Um, I talked about the golden age of comics, really starting off with that Action Comics number one, uh, first appearance of Superman in the late 30s, and then finishing around 1950 so when this weird science came out you're really at the end right at the end of the golden age so questionable whether it's in or out <laughs> <laughs> you've probably got an opinion on that and yeah. um, so this was an anthology book so a little bit like 2000 ad that i spoke about last week it it wasn't one theme one set of characters in the one book it's lots of different stories and they they were usually stories with a particular moral about them now one of the stories was called made of the future and it appeared in issue 5 and it was written by or co-written by Bill Gaines and a chap called Al Feldstein who also drew and colored it in as well now, Al Feldstein went on to become the editor for Mad Magazine, so he's quite a prominent chap. Now, in this story, you basically have a guy and his fiancée runs off with another man. That's, that's the opening to it. And then he just happens to come across a group of time travelers. So he meets them, he joins them, and returns off to the future. And then he finds he can buy himself a wife kit. <laughs> <laughs> so he thinks, all oh, right, cool. So he buys the wife kit and returns back to the present, the present being 1950 at the time. So initially, he's very happy with the results. She's basically the perfect 1950s wife. So she's got the blonde hair, the looks. She doesn't answer back, you know, <laughs> interrupt him when he's speaking, lights his pipe. I made that last bit up. Um, so, But, you know, you can imagine what a stereotypical perfect 1950s wife would be. But then she actually ends up leaving him. 
Yoshi returns off to the future, so he's jilted again. <laughs> so, um, which I don't know. I, I found it much funnier than it was possibly intended to be. Now, the movie that we're going to talk about is is very loosely based on this, but this is kind of where the the creators got the idea from. And that's it. So again, a bit bit more of a left field one, something very much outside of the the superhero comics, and um, yeah, quite a bit of fun. Yeah, good stuff. So, Chris, do you want to tell us a little bit about the movie background? Yeah, I get uh, there isn't a lot really. I mean, one of the things that a, a director and producer absolutely love is John Hughes because probably me and you are around about the same age as a sort of young kid going into adolescence and things like films like National Lampoons, Vacation, European Vacation, mm-hmm. Home Alone. You've got The Breakfast Club, one of my favourite films of all time, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I've watched that film, I don't know how many times. Uh, he launched careers for like John Candy, you know, plays Trains and Automobiles, Dave, one of the best films from the 80s. Absolutely love that film, Steve Martin, Uncle Buck. So you've got, you know, he's a who's who of films with John Hughes. And, with this, he came on board with Joel Silver. Um, they got the rights from the comic stuff, you know, as you've just said, and based it loosely on uh, the story of Made of the Future, which is the fifth issue. Um, now, obviously, you've said this before, I said, the title song was written and performed by Oingo Boingo. Um, That's right. This, uh, Oingo Boingo, but of course it's Danny Elfman, isn't it? Yeah. He's most famously known, isn't he, for working very close with Tim Burton, and and he does a lot of the scores for Tim Burton movies, including the 1989 Batman movie. And it's it's this is the weird science theme tune is just about the most 80s sounding song you could ever put together, and I just think it it always makes me chuckle that it's it's the same guy, you know. I just can't quite wrap my head around that. Weird intel. I say it's good, I suppose, for him that he can move around different bits, uh, pieces of music. But yeah, Danny Elfman, and then critically of Dave, it was in the middle. It's an absolute cult classic. I've known about this film since I was a kid. Never pushed the button to actually watch it because I love, even though Ferris Bueller was more of a teenager film, a bit older teenager, obviously. This, I don't know why, it just never appealed to me other than, you know, Kelly LeBrook because she's absolutely stunning. Uh, ex-wife of a uh, good old Stephen, I don't know how to do martial arts, Seagal, um, <laughs> for a long time. Um, it made a lot of money at the box office. Now, it, it made, for the time, it made $40 million worldwide, which was a lot considering the budget was only a few million. So it was a success. Even to this day, it holds a 54% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, we'll definitely get into that score, Dave, as the review. That goes. is but, a, a bit of a surprise. <laughs> yeah, a, a hell of a surprise, but um, <laughs> as you can probably tell. But yeah, it, it, from the, the film, it spawned a TV series that run from 94 to 98, which is 88 episodes. Uh, none of the main or original cast were ever in the TV series properly, or, you know, the, the different people played the characters. Around about 2013, Universal wanted to remake it. And all I'll say is, thank God they didn't. But they were trying to be fair. They were going to try and remake it as a more edgier, like a 21 Jump Street, the hangover type uh-huh. thing. Which I think might have worked nowadays. You'd probably get away with that. Um, 
and that's it really, Dave. I haven't really got anything else. It's, it's quite hard to find a lot of information other than the John Hughes stuff because he was really determined to do it because his, his speciality with these sort of coming-of-age films, weren't they? That was his niche as well, a sort of comedy yeah, thing, yeah. which he's got John Hughes written all over this film, without a doubt, even down to some of the actors used. You know, Bill Paxton's really good in it, and, and this sort of loves his career pretty much as well because of who he played you know he's playing Chet Donnelly isn't he so and yeah. obviously we've got I've got to mention it good old Iron Man Tony Stark Robert Downey <laughs> Jr but he's only credited as Robert Downey in this one before he added the junior on um, you know later in his career but yeah that's about it really it's, it's a difficult one to research if I'm being honest mm-hmm. no that's, that's plenty like you say I mean John Hughes he, he put out loads of really great movies there didn't he and well, we'll find out what we think of, of this one. But I guess <laughs> un- before we get into the the actual um, the movie walkthrough, I, I have to say, you know, so I watched this. So it came out in 85. Obviously, I didn't go and watch it at the, at the cinema. I wouldn't have been old enough. But I, so I would have probably caught it around 87, 88 time. And... You know, it's one of those that was absolutely, it It was something all of the kids were discussing. And when I say all the kids, all your mates, I'm obviously talking about the boys. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it was discussed a lot. And I, th- I think I'd heard of it before I actually saw the movie. And so, you know, I'd, I'd ended up, it was on the TV, taped it off the TV and watched it over and over. So I've seen this one lots and lots of times. And it is one of those that carries a lot of nostalgic baggage for me, I think. And so it's it's going to be tough for me. I kind of know, and, and part of the reason I wanted to do this as well is because you're watching it out of that context, out of that 80s context and time, I think your lenses are going to be quite different to mine. <laughs> 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 but I'll, I'll just put it on the table there about, you know, kind of what my kind of background with the movie was. I, I mean, at that time, I had no idea it was based on a comic. No, no, I didn't know myself until you mentioned it this week, if I'm being honest, Dave. Yeah. So, you know, to me, it was just uh, uh, memorable for other reasons. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go for it, Dave. Let's go for it. Okay, so we start off with the nerdy outcasts, so Gary and Wyatt, and they're just kind of on the periphery of of what looks like a um, a female only gym class. <laughs> yeah. A little bit creepy, actually, but they're just discussing life and the fact that they're on the outside and they're not very cool. They can't get girlfriends or anything. And straight away, you know, after a little bit of dialogue between themselves. You see the you you see the first glimpse of Robert Downey, don't you, with his unbelievably eighties hair there? Yeah, <laughs> you know, his face hasn't. You know, he obviously looks younger, but his face shape hasn't changed really at all. But the hair just as soon as it appeared on the screen, because I haven't seen it for a number of years now, um, I was just like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that being quite that bad. But he appears there behind them. 
and they're listening to this quite pathetic dialogue between the two, you know, fantasizing about what it'd be like to be in the, the in crowd and have girlfriends and stuff. And they do what, you know, most school bullies do or did in the 80s movies anyway, is they yank their shorts down and, you know, give the class, you know, you've got this whole gym class going a lot, going on and, no one notices you've got two boys just leering at them from the from the doorway. But anyway, so they they end up stood there with their shorts down, uh, just their underpants, and and uh, everyone sort of looking at them, thinking, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah, yeah. I, I must say, Dave, a lot of these girls are looking suspiciously like they're in the mid twenties. Now, these two, <laughs> you, you seem to have this a lot with these eighties films where the main character was always looking the lad if he was a teenager always looked so young compared to the you know the girl they were either the love interest or the friend you know i remember teen wolf with michael j fox obviously he always had the baby face didn't he but the <laughs> girl beth in teen wolf looked about 25 and he did look 17 and he never and this is the same these girls look well older than these two lads and yeah, yeah i agree with you dave i think your sentiments of before we, we went into it about looking at you've seen it as that sort of teenage lad understood it or, you know, when it came out around about the time it come out or whatever, I didn't. And having watched it now, um, it's just pure eighties into everything. He's eighties. The, the um, Robert Downey Jr. thing is, he's not, it's not really funny or uh, you knew what was coming. It, it sets yeah. itself up from the start. To me, it was a bit like a PG version of Porky's, if that makes uh, yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's how that felt at the start. Like the, you knew what was coming. It was a, it was an 80s film by numbers. The, the sort of young, down and out, as they used to call him, as I said it to you yesterday when we were chatting, dweebs and, and dorks, as they called them in the 80s. It were like the, the the social misfits, aren't they? The outcasts of the class, and that you know they've always wanted the girl, and that's how it sets it up. But I can't say that I found any of that funny. And and there's a little bit of a continuity, Dave, which I did notice. That's uh, I've just noticed it now because I've got it on again. Is um, when Robert Downey Jr. and his mates stand behind uh, Gary and Wyatt, he's got Nike trainers on, um, Max, and when they pan out they haven't and they have like them sneaker things on the lads do so a bit of continuity there nothing right, too bad, but right. yeah but I just thought I'd throw it in there but yeah I, I, I straight away dave i was looking at my phone looking at the watch seeing how long this film's <laughs> gonna be on for and then looking at the dave horrocks picture i have on the wall for these bad reviews and was throwing darts at him. <laughs> oh my word what is this he's put on me you totally took me up in bed <laughs> completely with this <laughs> It is certainly of its time and absolutely agree. It is dripping with 80s tropes all the way through, isn't it? And it starts off straight straight off the bat there with one. Dave, it's, it, I can't swear, but it's dripping with somewhere else as well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it this way, Dave. This come out the same time as Back to the Future. I, as I hold up, and I always say this, they're probably, probably going, how many films has he got on his list as his favourite films of all time? But... Genuinely, Back to the Future trilogy to this day holds up so well. Whether it's because they go back to 1955, I don't know. But this is like Back to the Future. It's not even in comparison, I'm afraid, after these first few minutes. And the characters suit, and and it does. But, Dave, you know, we get this thing, the pants come down, then we get the opening credits. Then we get the 
this computer program that just randomly can create women, you know, and, and <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, so, so again, you know, you've got things like war games, haven't you? That were around in That's and around country, that yeah. time, where you know, home computers weren't a thing. You know, no. unless you were you were super rich, and and the understanding of what's physically possible, um, the boundaries were quite blurry, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they 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 have a discussion, don't they? And they they've got uh, the old Frankenstein movie on there. And so they're thinking, oh, you know, we're never going to get girlfriends or anything. So let's create one, you know. And so you get some slightly cringeworthy uh, dialogue. And, and they're, so they go for it anyway. You know, they've got this home computer and they're chopping up bits of magazines and stuff to uh, for the imagery of, of how this... This woman is going to look, and also, you know, they're sorting out the proportions on the this modeling software that they've got, which is very advanced for 1985. And then, uh, yeah, so they, they somehow get more power. And, yeah, so they suddenly this computer in your bedroom ends up making a fully fleshed-out Kelly LeBrock. And also as well, Dave, let, let's, you know, as someone, as you know, who's an absolute techno freak absolutely if there's any gadget i am there i'm a massive gamer i've got i'm surrounded by technology as you know consoles pcs everything everything that you can think of is my bag these guys and john hughes literally invented the internet because for some reason his sort of commodore 64 whatever he's working on which was probably around about that time he's now fully linked up to the internet and can get into government websites yeah. and government <laughs> websites government computers and stuff yeah. and i'm thinking no, at the time I, w- I probably would have bought into it, but then and then th- they get all these Playboy pictures and just start feeding them into this random machine, don't they? Like it's going <laughs> to generate someone, and I'm like, oh no, oh no. And honestly, I think you had about five darts in your head at that point, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I say, it's one of these where home computers and the limitations weren't really known at that time. So you can imagine, you know, when I talked about the the original comic, apart from the fact that you just randomly bump into some time travelers, at at least it's plausible. So if you did that, you go to the future where they have the technology where they can, you know, have build build your own wife kind of kits. Whereas this is kind of like, you can imagine in the writer's room or whatever, they're like, yeah, computers, I've heard they're a thing. Um, yeah, that would create a, a fully fleshed out woman. I'm I'm pretty sure. Let's let's do that. <laughs> it's just nonsense. Isn't it? And then they get a Barbie doll, don't they? Which looks like Kelly LeBrook, and yeah. they end up with bras on the head. Honestly, I, you know, like you say, I agree with you, Dave. I, I'm watching this in the totally the wrong era, really, because as a 39 year old bloke, I'm thinking, what is this hell that I'm enjoying? <laughs> because it. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. It's it, it is a break from reality. It's based on a comic. I totally get it, but there wasn't any bit in it where I thought any of the acting was good. The lad with the blonde hair just wanted—I don't know what he wanted, but he was terrible. The so other lad wasn't too bad. That's Anthony Michael Hall, isn't it? So he yeah. he was quite big around this time. He was in National Lampoons, yeah, and he he couldn't do it, so he was filming this. So they had to replace him in in that series of films as well so he he's quite well known um the other chap um 
I, I looked him up the other day. He's, he's some sort of professor. He's some sort of academic. academic. All right. No. <laughs> I, bet, I bet. Can you imagine the amount of times he's had some stick for this movie? Yeah. You know, this uh, this guy who's who's a professor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's probably changed his name, but but no, Dave. I I get what it was aimed for and the audience it's aimed for, but none of it makes any sense, do you? And then you know we get this thing where the computer overrides everything and they, they've unplugged it, haven't they? And it's still going crazy. We've got dogs on ceilings, uh, fire in the middle of the street. The 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 bedrooms like some sort of electrical storm, and then. Lo and behold, we get this you know, door, don't we, bending inwards. And uh, and I must say, Dave, let's be honest here, Kelly the Brook is absolutely stunning. She's absolutely gorgeous woman, isn't she? Yeah. And, and I think, though, her introduction was her best-looking bit, if you like. Yeah. yeah. You know, she, she did look pretty stunning in that, uh, in that shot there. Yeah, she did. And, and I... Wasn't sure what to expect. I thought that she didn't speak in this film. And I'll be honest with you, Dave, I wish she didn't for <laughs> quite a lot of it because it was, I don't know why, as we're both English, I don't know why, but it really, it didn't sit well with me at all. Because she, she was a yeah. model, wasn't she? She's not an actress, let's be honest. She's never been a proper actress. And she was wooden, to say the least. Yeah, there was something not quite right with the cadence of her voice, wasn't there? It, yeah. She, she was speaking with a posh accent, but there was something off about it. I agree. And and I could never quite put my finger on it. Even even watching it as a kid, it was like, oh, that just sounds a bit off. I don't know what it is. But, and and we've, we've, sorry to call Crusher, yep. we've discussed this as people who are English, and me and you are from the North, we don't sound like that. But whenever they have these people, it's so frustrates with these English accents, especially from the 80s. They were always playing these gents. I've mentioned this a few times, and it was getting frustrating because I was just like, oh, she, just put, she was putting it, she was hamming it up more than it needed to be. But I'll tell you what, Dave, the next scene, oh, my word, we are talking. Oh, well, before we get into the club... I, and you're right. They all, they all, uh, the English actors typically will will speak with that royal pronunciation, won't they? You yeah. know. So, I think it's only in recent years. Probably Game of Thrones has done more to to expose the world to different regional accents within yeah. the UK than, yeah. than anything. You know, with the Starks and and what have you. So, um, so yeah. But when all of this, when the computers basically hooked up to the 1985 version of the internet and drawing power from everywhere. And you've got these funny uh, little clips and scenes and whatever. It reminded me of Superman 2. Yes. You know, the Richard Lester bit where Zod and co are basically blowing at the crowd and you've just got all these nonsensical slapstick moments when that was going on i thought oh that's a that's very much like superman 2 that yeah i got just spicy dave yeah i like that i mean what what's your wording on the uh shower scene <laughs> <laughs> um like I say, I'm, I must have been, you know, somewhere in between 12 and 15. And, um, yeah, it, it, it struck me as as odd, you know, that someone's gone to such lengths to create this perfect woman and they're stood there in their trousers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, let, let's um, 
I think we need to sort of mention the elephant in the room. If someone's never watched it and you're going to watch it off the back of this podcast, in that 2018, some of the things that are going on in this film is questionable, uh, which in 1985 you obviously could get away with. But having two 15-year-old lads in a shower with a grown woman, I'm sure if it was the other way around, we'd be having some serious issues, wouldn't we, Dave? So as a 15-year-old yeah. kid, and I'll be honest to myself, it probably would have been my ultimate dream at 15 years old. <laughs> but from a legal point of view, um, you know, you're thinking, I, I, I don't know what to say. We mentioned this before we did the podcast, didn't we? Because we were laughing about it, saying, wow, how did they get away with some of this stuff? So we'll mention yeah. it as we go on. But I just thought I'd men- drop that in there as a bit more, not a serious thing, but something that, He's, he's quite obvious in, in, as you watch the first, especially the first half of the film. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I was I was mentally going on to the club. You're right. I kind of forgot about the shower scene, but you're right. It's just plain wrong. <laughs> and the, yeah. It's not the only bit. You know, there's there's other bits, and like you say, we'll call them out as we go through. And, and like you say, then you say about the club scene. Sorry. Yeah. So they decide to go to go off to the club. And they initially, I, I do like the bit. Again, this is this is nostalgia talking. They've obviously got their very very nerdy kind of school gear on, their high school gear on, and then they walk through the door. and And part of part of it, which I'd forgotten to be honest, was that she was just she had magic as well. She could basically do anything, you know. So it wasn't just that she was created from a computer. She she seemed to have magical powers as well. So she change them into some 1985 cool looking clothes and so she decides to take them off so she can conjure up cars as well it seems and she takes them off to a to a club in a in a in a nice cadillac and then they get in there and then again the um the point at which it becomes you know quite uncomfortably racist <laughs> really starts about now because they go into the club and you know straight away you know the whole club looks back at the door and and everyone in there is is black aren't they yeah black or or kind of um hispanic like, or you know, def- yeah. descent so and they all look back and you know saying well we don't belong here and lisa so that so they called out a name they decided to call her lisa and uh they're like we don't belong here at all and she's like no don't be daft it's it's a public place so they end up they go in there and somehow end up speaking to a bunch of guys who are there and they plow in with some alcohol don't they yeah and that's when the race racistometer cranks way up beyond acceptable levels and and again it's one of those i'm thinking was it was it was that really okay in 1985 or or was that quite off even then because i kind of suspect it it must have been surely it must have been i mean a little spot to the right of gary um the guy with the mustache he's actually out of do you ever watch american ninja dave oh i probably did the, Michael, the name uh, rings a bell i probably did at the time but i don't, I don't remember anything about it at all well, well there's a series of films american ninja with michael duddikoff he was called and he was in the army he was like a beret or whatever he was like a ninja as well you know like ninjas are always following him around everywhere and his mates called action jackson not confusing action jackson carl weathers film but he's actually called action jackson he's a karate and he stood over his shoulder in this whole segment he's like the main right, sort of right. guy talking to 
him. So I spotted him straight away. He's in a lot of 80s films. Like I think he died, actually, uh, late 80s, early 90s. But he was like a, a martial arts expert. But, yeah, Dave, the, he was doing the jive talking stuff, and I was really uncomfortable watching this. I was abs- absolutely – I wanted to slap the, the lad. I really did because I thought, wow, this is really bad. And yeah. it's not aged well at all. No, no, it's, it's it's absolutely not. And it's it's one of those where you almost think it, it, it's so bad. I mean, shouldn't they recut it without that? Um, you know, yeah. I, I'm not being like uber PC about it. it. It's it's just too much. So like you say, he's. I, I had seen some explanation at, at some point about uh, Richard Pryor did it. You know, so he spoke in that drunk kind of jive talk way apparently in one of his stand-up shows but that's fine you know you've got this this young lad speaking like it and it, it's just it's just wrong it is it is and i, I it like you've said a few times a line i'm going to steal a line off you but it just took me away from the whole film i was cringing thinking please go to another scene but what made it worse is he carries on talking like it when they go back after this club scene yeah and everything he carries on talking about because he's talking about a 13 year old girl and her, her boobs and everything isn't he? and and you yeah. know and i'm like oh what is going on he's supposed to be in a club he's supposed to be an adult they obviously know he's a young youngest kid or they've got fake ids but he's talking about a 10th grader isn't he and i'm like yeah. and i'm like oh no no this was getting this was getting worse every time he opened his mouth and obviously it's not the actor's fault it's the dialogue but i'm absolutely shocked dave and not in the fact that we're in this you know everything is wrong it's just totally racist it's not wrong wrong it's like a line or anything it's a whole segment and and there must have been some backlash from that in the 80s there must have been uh, maybe, like you say, you've got you've got heavy dose of racism in that, and also, like you say, you talk you're sexualizing young kids essentially. Yeah, you know, and and you know, again, I I'm trying to think. It's, it's 1985. It's not 1885. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, let, let's not dwell on it. I I just think you know that whole segment is is pretty pretty uncomfortable but anyway they they do end up driving back and like you say gary's he continues the drunk jive talking all the way back but then we get to meet bill paxton don't we as chet yeah and then for me it gets back on the rails here because he's just i i think he's brilliant in this role yeah yeah He's, he's a bit like um, Buzz in Home Alone, you know, Macaulay Culkin's brother. He's yeah. just horrible. I know he's older, but he's that horrible brother. That that, And it's a cliche, the 80s, isn't it? But it works, Dave. You know, the Goonies had these sort of characters, did things like that. They work. And he, he's probably the best thing about the film, if I'm being honest. He is good. I mean, he's got massive piano teeth. I don't know if it was the way they shot it, the lens they were using or what, but I, I know apparently the whole flat top look was, was his idea, or rather he, he'd gone in um, and just asked asked the hairdresser for an intense haircut, and that's what they came up with. And the, the hairdresser didn't didn't want to do it because he, he thought it'd be fired you know everything's got to be approved um but they went ahead and did it and uh and the director loved it and it does his channeling his inner ivan drago in he as well i like it yeah but i i again nostalgia talking but i always remember that line about how would you like 
a greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray. (laughs) 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 And and again, I guess um, when I was watching this as as a young teen, if you like, and not really fully experiencing what it's like to come home drunk. I guess if if I'd have watched it then as a as a later teen, I, I'd probably uh, I'd probably find this scene a, a little bit funnier because you know Gary's there and he's just you know he, he should he's getting a dressing down, but he just can't stop giggling. So uh, that did make me chuckle a little bit. Well, and then the next scene, Dave. You know, Chet goes off. He gets money off him. Don't need to keep him quiet. Yeah. And this is where we get a really bad, uncomfortable scene. Now, like I say, 15-year-old Chris would have absolutely lapped this up, Dave. And like I say, it would have been every boy's dream. But Chris, the adult, and as a parent, you know, we get the scene where Kelly LeBrook is kissing uh, Wyatt. Yeah. And, you know, that is... 15-year-old Wyatt. Exactly. I'm getting really... And she's grabbing his backside and all. I'm watching it now as, as, as we're going through it. But, um, yeah... I don't know. I don't know what what the score was then or anything like that. Like I say, you get older, things change, don't they? The world's changed, but that was never right even back then. So I don't I don't understand how they still got away with that. If you're 16 and just legal or whatever, then you've got an argument to run with the story, haven't you? But the fact that they're underage, no one seems to actually bother, do they? It's just, you're just taking it for what it is, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be hypocritical about it. When I was watching this as a as a younger teen, yeah. I was thinking, "You lucky, lucky man! Oh, if only you know." But like you say, you you get older, you're a parent, and and you look at it slightly differently. And again, it, it's just wrong. I mean, I, I don't know how old the actor was at the time, but I think he he must have been thinking all his chips had come in. To be honest, you know, when he signed up to play the role. Yeah, I reckon the other one that Mike is it Michael Hall. He was probably gutted as well. I would have thought yeah. because he missed out on that, didn't he? But yeah, I agree with you. At fifteen, Dave, I'd been absolutely saying the same thing. Like, oh my word, how lucky is that guy? Because she's absolutely stunning. She's a stunning woman. You know, she eighties haircut and all, but really pretty girl. You know, so she's probably she's probably late twenties at this point. I would have thought, Dave, something like that. So. I think I think she's supposed to be twenty three. I, I can't remember where they 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 mentioned twenty three later in the movie somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, like I say, well, it's not a case of skating over. But I thought it was prevalent to bring it up in the review because if we don't address it, it's uh, you know not that we're agreeing. We're not certainly not endorsing it, but it's just a funny way that in thirty three years, how times have changed with the films and that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we head on off to the mall, don't we? And again, you know, Gary and Wyatt, they're just uncomfortable. You, you know what it kind of reminded me a little bit of as well? It reminded me of the in-betweeners. They're a little bit younger than where the in-betweeners are supposed to be. Yes. But, you know, the awkwardness and everything, it kind of reminded me a little bit of that. But they're, you know, shopping for perfume, aren't they? And again, a girl behind the counter is supposed to be with them at high school because she recognizes them, but there's no way that she's not 25 or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, again, another bit that when I was watching it, you know, yesterday on our rewatch, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about, but as it got to this mall scene, it's just one of those that I remember where basically Robert Downey's just a complete tool with his mate there. 
and yeah. um, drops a big slushy or an icy on Gary and Wyatt. You know, so they've got the <laughs> great all white, very very eighties gear on, and they get a kind of pink slushy all over them. So <laughs> I thought, I I don't know why that, but that that did. I, I remembered that quite a lot. Yeah, I've seen that before actually, Dave. You know, I say I've not seen the film. I've seen that bit before and i never twigged that he was actually weird science mm-hmm. so it's strange that because i knew it was robert downey jr i never twigged it was him yeah 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 but then then we get you know a little bit of a weirdness kind of thing for me so robert downey and his mate what are the characters names they're uh ian and max aren't they uh, they kind of head up the escalator so they they're going off with their girlfriends and the girlfriends are basically saying you know these are tools but they're kind of cool. They're the cool kids as well. So they get us all into all the best parties and what have you. And then they see Kelly LeBrock going up the other side of the escalator and then just completely um, kind of lose their minds, I guess, you know, act like a dog uh, with something, you know, jump. So they jump over to the other side of the escalator. They're both chasing after her. And again, I guess that's just, it's just a little bit eighties, aren't they? Isn't it? You yeah. know, I mean, their girlfriends are not ugly, are they? No, they're good looking I, girls. I was trying to think, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm looking at Kelly LeBrock and like you say, Kelly LeBrock's a lovely lady, but is she, is she, any difference to the girlfriends they've got? I'm not sure, but they end up chasing after her, and uh, again, not not a fa- not a fantastic put down, really. But you know, they're trying to chatter up, but she's having none of it. And then she goes off with with Gary and Wyatt in the car, and so they're a bit gobsmacked. And you know, again, that's that's their put down. But I didn't think after you know he'd covered the lads in slushies, I, I, I didn't think it was a great put down, to be honest. No, no, it wasn't. And again, very much eighties humor, Dave. Real that that it was like over the top. They just hammer everything up, don't they? Completely. Yeah. Um and I think I think Downey Jr. in that day, they do a good job of just playing the absolute people you want to hate. Yeah. More than yeah, anything. Yeah. So I think I think that come across quite well. But yeah, I I'm not invested in any of this at the moment. You say that as if you're going to be invested later, but I'm I'm suspecting not. <laughs> but but, um, but okay, so let's let's move on. So basically, you know, Lisa is is saying, "Look, you're too uptight. You need to have a party, essentially, you know, and uh, loosen up a bit." So Lisa takes she heads off to Gary's parents. Now, I I didn't get this all those years ago. I didn't I didn't pick up on it this time as well so what i didn't understand so gary is he's staying over with his mate wyatt in their house so i didn't quite get why does lisa need to then go back to gary's parents and explain to to them that he's going to be at this party i don't know i i i I question this anyway (laughs) but I, i haven't got a clue dave yeah so so anyway it just is. They do for some reason. Um, and you get this weird, really quite terrible scene, I think, <laughs> where, you know, she's just being uh, quite over the top and offensive with Gary's parents. And again, you know, no, I, I guess the parents are set up to be the squares, aren't they? You know, Al, Gary's dad, he's set up to be the plumber, you know, so he's, he's kind of that blue collar 
type worker and you know they're they're stiffs and uptight and everything and you know she's just trying to be be offensive to get a rise out of them but uh, it's just all a bit wrong (laughs) (laughs) um but anyway you know after that bit of dialogue and you know she threatens the parents and and then heads off out and gary's going nuts you know because because she's just made a, a fool out of him essentially but the mother has forgotten that whole interaction that just happened whereas the the man the so al his dad um has forgot that gary exists so overshot the spell a little bit there so again i must admit although i'm looking back with with nostalgia and probably finding more things amusing than you are none of that to me was funny back then it it was really now to be honest no, and I think they're miscast as well. They look absolutely nothing like him. Absolutely yeah. nothing like him. I just found it real, real strange. I just thought the dad looked absolutely nothing. You know, at least make an attempt to give the dad fair hair or something, but he's absolutely <laughs> atrocious, wasn't it? Yeah, and so I mean, when when I missed out when they'd left, that she obviously pulls a gun on him. Yeah. So again, it's not just that Gary was being offended. <laughs> she's she's really gone out on a limb there. And so um but yeah, so so like I say, he ends up forgetting, and then it's a bit of a running gag through the film um that Al can't remember who Gary is. Not a very funny one, Dave, let's be honest. <laughs> no, no, not not entirely. So anyway, we get on to the house party there, don't we? And and so Again, another lovely 80s kind of trope where, you know, they're thinking they're going to have a little party, get a few people around. But, you know, they'd ask Robert Downey and co spread the word. And so they open the door and you get this mass of people uh, who are just ready to to pile into the house, you know, as as they do. You know, if yeah. you had a party, everyone just stands on mass. And then when you say hi, everyone goes hi back, you know, and... <laughs> <laughs> they all kind of plow in there and and start tucking into the food and what have you. And Gary and Wyatt decide to take refuge in the bathroom and hide away from it all. <laughs> 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 Which again, you know, you you could say about how well it's executed or whatever. But I just, I guess I did like that bit. It just in that you know. These are young lads. All they're talking about all the time is that they want girlfriends, they want to be in the in crowd and everything. But when it actually is put there on a plate for them, they they kind of shy away from it. They like talking about it a lot more than they like actually doing it. And I think as well, Dave, to be fair, as much as I've criticised the film, that's how all kids that age think, don't you? Yeah. You, yeah, you, you yeah. want something to happen. You basically want the girl to make the first move because your bottle's gone, really. You, you, you have all these ideas of what you're going to do, but when you know, the push comes to the shove, it's really difficult to to actually muster up the courage because of the rejection side of it. And I think I think that's to be fair, I think that's done really well because that's how I think we all feel when it's when you've done you've been in them situations. So yeah, as much as it's a comedy, I, I get that insecurity and sort of fear factor of two friends talking it over because they probably wouldn't say it to anyone else. But yeah, no, I I'll, I'll give him a, a pass on that one, Dave. Yeah. And and again, just another silly little bit of dialogue. That I just remember, it's, it's not funny, but it sticks in my mind. But he says, you know, because um, 
because Wyatt has, has got a bit of an upset tummy. He's so nervous. This is in his house. So, you know, he's feeling his neck on the line a little bit more so than Gary. And so he sat on the toilet. Um, and so, uh, so Gary just says to him, look, if you're going to float an air biscuit, uh, let me know and I'll hit the fan. <laughs> I don't think I've heard it in any other context, but on the rewatch, I just remember that little bit of dialogue there. But they end up, so, um, you know, meanwhile, you've got Kelly LeBrock, Lisa, she's going around handing out hors d'oeuvres, and she's got caviar, hasn't she? So these, yeah. are, the, these high school students have got quite expensive taste, you know, to want caviar. But um, so the girlfriends of Ian and Max, Debbie Hilly, uh, Debbie Hilly, Deb and Hilly, uh, head up to find the toilet, don't they? And, um, <laughs> again it it tickled me I, i'd be interested if it tickled you at all but you know obviously why it's just been to the toilet and you know these these young girls who, who you know the guys are quite fancy as well want to get into the bathroom and so <laughs> you've got gary's he's at the door answering the door and you've got Wyatt in the background lighting a match, you know, trying to get rid of the smell. Again, utterly stupid uh, slapstick stuff, but it, it did make me laugh that. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so they, they end up going into the bathroom and then the awkwardness level ramps up to 11, doesn't it? Because, you know, they want to get in there to use the bathroom, but Gary and Wyatt just stick around and they say, you know, can you leave us alone for a second? So they, they head into the shower. <laughs> <laughs> and then they put their plan of attack together, but obviously they, uh, when they resurface, they, they, those girls have gone and, and you get some other girls who aren't quite as aesthetically pleasing uh, are in their place. And so then we cut across, don't we? We, we get to see Wyatt's grandparents. And again, this this bit sticks out in my mind just because of the over the top accents. I think you know these are guys who uh, uh, who probably aren't actually English, but they're just going over the top to sound posh, I guess. And um, I do remember what what is it? The, the grandmother says something like, "There's nothing more than a fifteen year old boy likes." than his grandparents or something like that. So we'll go around and, and see how he's getting on. He's probably getting pretty lonely. And so, uh, so when they turn up to the house, you know, again, just a, a, a really quite uncomfortable moment. And, and again, when you're watching it, when you're older, you, you kind of side with them, you know, yeah. um, but obviously Lisa just freezes them and, and sticks them in the cupboard. <laughs> But I think what what is it she says? She says something. The granddad he says something like, "Have you ever?" And the grandmother's like, "Never." <laughs> In a really over the top poshness way. It, it's weird, isn't it? Because you can see when they because obviously she when they come kick off, she casts a spell, doesn't she? We know we're going to get to that in a minute, but they're not good actors, Dave, when they're in that. No, no, not at all. You can see the grandmother's absolutely in agony because she's trying to hold that smile, isn't she? It's it's poor, poor, real poor. Oh, my word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all I can say. (laughs) I'm trying to be positive. So um, 
so anyway, um, Ian and Max, they, they find out. So they're, they're, the, their main reason to be at the party is so that they can um, chat up Lisa. But then they find out, you know, Lisa's quite upfront with them that Gary and Wyatt had created her. And, you know, she does whatever they say. So they come up with this idea to try and get in with uh, Gary and Wyatt and say, oh, look, sorry about everything. And, you know, can we do this experiment again? (laughs) (laughs) So so they try to to recreate that same experiment, but it kind of goes a little bit wrong, doesn't it? You know, and everything. Again, we get this Superman 2, Richard Lester seen again you know again just just so 80s because you get the uh you get the one girl don't you who's who's just playing the piano you know in the middle of the night in a room on her own yeah and then she ends up yeah she ends up the the wind's trying to suck her up the chimney and and uh she ends up having all her clothes ripped off (laughs) you know before she gets sucked up the chimney and, and deposited in a lake you know, it was just <laughs> awful. <laughs> <laughs> so glad you said it. I, yeah. I, I was looking at my chimney, watching it, thinking, go on, please, just take me now. Do I have to watch the rest of it? Because <laughs> <laughs> we do get our first bit of nudity there as well, don't we? We do get a cleavage shot as she goes up yeah. the chimney. But I still can't get why they've got bras on the heads, Dave. Well, but- it's for comedy. Oh, right. For 80s comedy, that's the only reason. No, I, mean, I guess the second time, you know, the first time they were just driven by hormones and madness, I guess, you know, so so decided that would be a thing. But in a scientific way, they were trying to do exactly the same again. So they didn't know, you know, what was what were all the key ingredients that, that made this happen. So they're just trying to do exactly what they did before. So, yeah. and I can't imagine... Robert Downey's uh, recreated that particular scene many times over his illustrious career since. <laughs> no. But, um, so, yeah, you get all these funny things and the kitchen turns blue and then, you know, they think they've recreated Lisa, but we actually see Lisa's at the door and she's really disappointed and then points out, you forgot to hook up the doll. It just so happens to be the electrodes are hooked up to this uh, to this magazine of a rocket, and so they end up with the rocket, you know, growing out out the middle of the house. So again, none of it makes any sense, really. Um, but yeah, just an, another bit of slapstick there. <laughs> Dave, so, using this artistic license with slapstick, we're, we're actually <laughs> abusing that, aren't we? More 80, than anything, 80s slapstick. So anyway, Lisa's very disappointed. You know, she she just thinks that what Gary and Wyatt have sold out and tried to get in the cool kids, but gone around it just in in the wrong way. You know, and so she decides to up the ante a little bit. And actually, this this the very first time I caught this it was on TV, and I didn't know what it was, and I just came in at this mutant bikers bit, yeah. <laughs> and I wondered what what is this. But anyway, she basically creates, well, you think she's created them out of thin air, but there's a piece of dialogue later, which, again, it's probably just put in there for comedy, so I I shouldn't think about it too much, where the guy says he's he's got a teaching job. Um, So you get these mutant bikers, and they're driving into the party and trying to terrorize all the kids who are there. And these guys are proper out of Mad Max or the Hills Have Eyes or something, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, Gary and Wyatt, they hide in the cupboard. You know, they don't want anything to do with it. They just want to hide away until they get dragged out and essentially put on the put on the spot so basically these these mutant bikers uh, uh, the head one is kind of you know taking the mickey out of them you got everyone else just kind of stood around watching and then you know initially they just want them to go away and then and then you get the 80s redemption moment don't you so suddenly they're just like right we've had enough you know get out of our house and Gary just happens to have a, a huge gun in his pocket. <laughs> um, and so, you know, he basically convinces the bikers to leave. And then as soon as, you know, he's had his little heroic moment there, everyone just kind of quietly wanders off, you know, and the, you get the woman, you know, saying, Oh, you've got a lovely house. And, you know, so they all turn super nice. And that's where you get the chap, you know, it's, it's like, uh, could we keep this between us? I'd, I'd hate to lose my teaching job. So, again, doesn't really make sense. Are these real people or people just, or Lisa conjured up out of thin air? I, I'm not sure. But yeah. strange, strange. Strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've just, I've just, let me just check something. Yeah, the, that mutant bike is a guy called Michael Berryman, you know, with the bald head. He, he's the Hills of Eyes bloke, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Straight. But, Dave, and I'm right. I, I didn't spot this when I watched it yesterday. The main guy who comes with the chainsaw is someone we mentioned in our last episode. It's only Bennett off Commando. And it's, is that him? I didn't recognise him without his tash. Vernon Wells. It's the same guy out of Commando and obviously Mad Max as well. So that's obviously what they were going for. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so obviously he was Australian. And, and I did think Mad Max, I thought, oh, I wonder if he was... You know, one of in one of the original Mad Max movies. Yeah, no, he's the he's the main baddie in the second one. I think it is. He's not the first one. I think it's the second one. But yeah, he's definitely in Vernon Wells. Yeah, because he is. He's Bennett. Right. Yeah, cool. Mad Max: The Road Warrior. Weird Science Commando as Bennett. Yeah, I always remember Bennett. Yeah, don't mess with me, Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was him straight away because he's lost a bit of weight in this one. He's looked like he's uh, he's done a bit of training after Commando, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely atrocious, Dave. Absolutely atrocious scene. And I, I, I don't think it made any sense really at all. I know he's supposed to be science fiction and comic book, but he was pretty poor, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, I'm not gonna labor on it but there's some pretty uncomfortable uh dialogue in in this whole scene as well you know some stuff which which doesn't which hasn't aged very well at all um no. and, and just not not really acceptable no I, I i i mean i'll be honest with you dave i've not laughed once while i've watched this irrespective of like because sometimes when you've got these younger kids feel like teenage films. There's a lot of in-jokes that adults would get kids, like the Simpsons type situation. I know that's a cartoon and it's created in the 90s, but there's a lot of innuendo in there and things like that. Mm -hmm. like you sort of get go, oh, that's a bit bit naughty. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I don't know. It, it just seemed like it, it was like a cliche of itself. Yeah, I mean, there, there aren't many layers to this one, are there? <laughs> no. <laughs> but... um. But anyway, I mean, we're 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 almost at the wrap up point now. So, you know, the girls because the the boys they've had their redemption moment. They suddenly become much more appealing to the girls, you know. So so they go and they kind of pair off there. Um, again, these are all fifteen years old, apparently. 
um, but whatever. Uh, but then Chet turns back up again, and I, I, and for me, at least, you know, the movie ramps up a notch. Again, when I was a kid, I seem to remember he di- he did the job of making me hate him. But yeah. you know, on this rewatch, I kind of like I love him on the screen. And yeah. uh, you know, he comes back with his gun. He's not too shy about pointing it around the place, you know, <laughs> shoving it in people's faces and stuff. Um, but yeah, so he, he's he's essentially Wyatt's modus operandi is to offer Chet money, isn't it? Yeah. But Lisa's having none of it, and so in the end, she just says, "Look, boys, take the girls home in your in your lovely cars, and then we'll uh, me and Chet will sort it out." So they do have a bit of a back and forth. Chet's having none of it. You get a bit of sexism thrown in there <laughs> that's uh, you know you wouldn't see now. But then uh, my favourite bit <laughs> is where she so she essentially turns at Chet into a massing steaming pile, don't she? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, you know, he um, he changes his tune a little bit there. I, I do like the Ferrari, though, Dave. There's a nice little car chase, very 80s car chase-like, where you get um, Gary driving the red Ferrari, don't you? Yeah, and I, yeah, and, yeah. And I like that because you've got the, the typical 1980s Blues Brothers cop car you know, being chased, um, brilliant, really good. Just a daft eighties thing as well, and and you had to have them in these films, don't you? Somewhere, yeah. Dave, you do. There's always some car chase. It's it's. Um, it, I'm, I'm not a car nut, so I wouldn't say for sure, but it looks very much like in National Lampoons. There's a there's Chrissy a bit. Brinkley. She drives one, doesn't she? A Ferrari. I, I don't know the actress's name, but yeah. basically where Chevy Chase is kind of, everyone else is asleep in the car, and then she's just driving on the side of him. She overtakes him, yeah. and then he's he's sort of trying to be a smoothie, but ends up on the wrong side of the road and <laughs> ends up driving off the road. That model of Ferrari, I, I'm pretty sure they're the same. It is, but he's thinking his ex-wife, Billy Joel's ex-wife, because I actually, for so, I don't know why how or what world we're living in that you've actually brought this up. But I watched that scene yesterday. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know what I was watching, but it was there where you've got his wife, because I love National Lampoon. She's asleep, obviously. And and he meets her by the the motels and stuff, doesn't he? And and she's there going past. I actually watched it. It's a, yeah, it is. It's a, a, what's him, a 308 GTS. Right, right. I think it's the same one, actually, because the 308 GTS is the same one that's in Magnum PI, that's not the same one as a Magnum PI um, car, because that's a, that's a Ferrari I've always wanted, a 308. Right, right. But he's close, he's not far away. Yeah. I'll tell yeah. you what it is now, Dave. But again, John Hughes, bit of a fascination because he has a Ferrari in this, a Ferrari in National Lampoons, and obviously Ferris Bueller's is a 1964, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 65 Ferrari. So, um, yeah, I'll tell you what it is now, Dave, one second. Oh, yeah, it's a Ferrari Mondial. That's what it is. Yeah, it is, yeah. 1983 Ferrari Mondial QV Cabriolet. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's the same body styling at the front. It's the back that's slightly different. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, the the guys drop them off, and like I say, you have a bit of a car 
chase scene for no other reason other than that it's an 80s movie i guess <laughs> and um then they go back and you know they 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 feel like you know they have to break it to lisa and and then the movie switches into mary poppins for me yeah <laughs> so you know she she has a sadness uh, she's got to go and and what have you and then she disappears through a, a top of the pop style cloud of uh, carbon dioxide dry ice and then every, everything in the house sort of tidies up itself and, and everything goes back to normal just in time for when Wyatt's parents come back. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's, but you know, all you're waiting for then, Dave, is the old Dick Van Dyke to pop out. Hey, oh, yeah. Mary Poppins? You know, yeah. <laughs> G'day, Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> we could get onto his... To Dick Van Dyke's accent uh, another day, perhaps. Oh, my word. Yeah, you'll have to shoot up Mary Poppins off a comic somewhere, Dave. Yeah. Um, oh, it's terrible. Terrible. But, yeah, it, you know, she she rescues the situation, doesn't she? And, and all of a sudden she's dressed very 80s, isn't she? She's, like, not this outfit on. She's got, like, a, a blouse with, like, a jacket on, and she that everyone wore. She's sort of changed, and then she disappears in a puff of smoke, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is totally going against anything we've seen, as if she's some sort of witchcraft or something. Well, like I say, she 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 can basically do anything, can't she? she she'd had the magic powers. She conjures up cars out of nothing, gives the guys a, a change of clothes and what have you. So she, she's kind of magic as well. So that that's... That's why I like to say she's Mary Poppins. And then the very, very last bit is, you know, she, she appears as like a gym instructor or something uh, yeah. for a class full of high school boys, which, again, you're just thinking what we, from what we've seen before, just wrong, wrongometer yeah. is off the scale. So, um, but I'm I, sure they won't complain. I did, I, the one thing I didn't get with that, Dave, is she says to him, drop and give me 20 and all of them just like whack their heads and collapse. I don't understand what that meant. It's 1985, Chris. It's like, (laughs) Oh, what a beautiful woman's just asked me to do oh, exercise right. or something. Okay, you know? I mean, I'm being the ultimate pessimist in this interview with everyone. I've got to apologise. The 80s. Yeah. I, I, I if, it, if it wasn't a Bruce Lee film, obviously 70s, or a, as I said, American Ninja or a Lee Cop, I wasn't really invested. There was only Ferris Bueller that ever Rocky. No, well, Rocky's fine. Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, I mean, these sort of films never. Oh, yeah, yeah. I never, I never got them. If I'm being honest, I watched them like Team Wolf for Lights and that, but I never liked these coming of age films. Even stuff like The Breakfast Club, I've never seen. And that's John Hughes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's one of his most most popular ones, isn't it? I must admit, I've not gone. I've not watched that out of context of the '80s. So I, I'd be interested uh, to see that one in in more recent years and how that stands up. Now, Dave. We're at the end of the film. It's the review time. And I believe you can go first this week. Um, Yeah. Let's let's do it. I've got a good feeling about this one. (laughs) Okay. I think you are right. It is me first, but I was so... I was so focused on waiting to hear what, what you give it. I'd kind of forgotten about my whole review score as well. So 
I said right at the top, it, it's very difficult for me to watch this objectively, you know, because I'd seen it so many times as a teenage, a young teenage boy. And at that time, it just pushed a lot of buttons for a young teenage boy. Watching it now, it doesn't hold up at all. <laughs> You know, but I do still think back fondly of of certain little scenes and stuff, and just only because I'd seen it lots at the right time, at the perfect time to watch this movie. Quite honestly, so for me, I'm going to send it to Hell's Kitchen because I think if I was to watch it objectively, it it would go worse than that. But there are a few little moments in there that just made me smile not laugh but just smile a bit just thinking back to when i used to watch it so that's where it's going for me hell's kitchen good 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 stuff there obviously like you say you've seen it before so it holds more weight for you than obviously me watching it for the first time and and for my score dave i, I you know i think you know the way this is going to go but I, I will say in agreement with what you said before the film. I'm sorry, anyone who's listening, if it's come across quite negative today, but I can only view it and review it now. I, I, I haven't had them eyes watch it 30 years ago. Like, I, as I've mentioned, the Ferris Bueller are back to the future. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's hard for me now to get the humour or to get what it was about. But I'm pretty sure at 15, Dave, Kelly the Brook, that would have been getting watched over and over. I mean, I remember watching The Man With Two Brains and I was in love with Kathleen Turner and the girl he creates in it. It's absolutely stunning. And, you know, like them daft mm-hmm. films. And then it's probably terrible. But it was one of them ones where, you know, 15-year-old Chris absolutely would have lapped it up and it would have been my absolute dream to get, uh, you know, a woman an older woman wanting to sort of look after me, shall we say, as a PG <laughs> podcast. I'm trying my hardest, Dave. Uh, but, yeah, it's an absolutely now. I, I, I went, when I was researching, I did come across, because I always check for, like, you know, the scores, the Rotten Tomato scores and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think, to be fair, if, if we were reviewing it in the 1980s, sites like Rotten Tomatoes, if they were around then, it would have scored highly, days. We were talking late 70s, 80s as an overall review. But when you go on there and look, just for research purposes, there's plenty of retro reviews, a bit like what we're doing with this, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the podcast. And they've all said what you said. It doesn't stand up well. You know, Bill Paxson's a saving grace. And, you know, Kelly LeBrook is great for the first five minutes or so because, you know, the, the awe of looking at how uh, pretty she is, great. But as a film, I think it's probably there isn't a score worse than. The Phantom Zone. And I said this about Generation X, but I actually think Generation X is better than this day. Oh! I'm sorry. <laughs> it's absolutely one of the worst films I have seen. And I did say it with this, and I said it about Nick Fury, so I'm, I'm being a bit uh, flaky, flaky at the moment. But I can't, I couldn't. It was just, I had to have a break after an hour. I said to you, Jen, I was going to watch the two <laughs> parts. And I didn't have a break because I was doing anything. I had to have a break because I was thinking... What am I doing with my life here, watching this nonsense? And I know, I know, I'm joking because it's for the podcast. I love reviewing them, Dave, and talking about it, but it's a real hard graft to watch <laughs> it now. I, th- I think it, you, you've got to have watched it originally when we were younger because yeah. I, I don't get it now. And that's not that there's anything wrong with the style. There's too many things now 
that are totally wrong, inappropriate. The mm. racism stuff that, that you know, a fifteen-year-old girl, a fifty. If it was a fifteen-year-old girl, we'd be having something serious to talk about, and a bloke doing it, Dave. So you've got to flip it on its head and say that side of it made me cringe, and that guy when he was talking, doing the jive talking stuff was just awful. It was really poor taste. And I like John Hughes, as I've said, some of his best work is some of my favourite comedies from the eighties. Brilliant, and John Candy and that love him. Home Alone, great. But this is just atrocious, Dave. So it's got to go to the Phantom Zone. Yeah, very good. I, I very can't good. excuse it. I, I can only apologise to people out there who are going to lynch me and say it's one of the favourite films. But it, for me, it's just not a bit of me at all. <laughs> I don't think you'll have too many people saying that. Yeah, saying that it stands up well. I, I don't think you'd have. A- anyone i'd be very surprised if anyone said that but i think there will be people out there in and around our age who've watched it at that time and think of it with a with a certain fondness but i i'm I'm kind of and i know you hated it and and again i i just have a a, um twisted love of that <laughs> because when we did Generation X, you said it was the worst film you think you've ever seen, and you can't. I'm pretty sure you said something like, "You can't imagine there being anything worse." Than yeah, that. well, I, I think I need to just keep me gobshut with these sort of things, Dave. Because I, I like it though. Because when I look back and I listen, obviously we listen to the podcast, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Back, and when I listen to it, I get more enjoyment out of these ones. I don't know why. I don't know whether the listeners are the same. You know, we'd have to get someone if you can comment if you're listening what you think. But it's the, it's the torture that me or you have to go through <laughs> review something. This is absolutely nonsense, you know. And that's what I love the most because I'm, you know, I have, I'm going into it blind with no backstory to it at all. Because we've had this discussion last few weeks where you said to me, "I've never watched Forrest Gump." Now, that is absolutely, I know all the lines out in the film, you know, box of chocolates, all that. I've seen him running with his calipers on and he breaks mm-hmm. I have genuinely never watched that film. And not because I didn't like it. I've just not, it's not, it, it's a film I'll watch, but it's not a film that, you know, like he's, I've got to watch it sort of thing. I've got to be really invested in it yeah, to watch yeah. it. And I don't know why, I've just never watched it. And that's 20 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I say, it's, so now my challenge is to find one worse than, yeah, than Weird it. Science. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we, as we were saying about a poll, Dave, maybe we should ask people's opinions. What is they, you know, comic book based? What is the worst film you've ever seen? And we can have a little uh, a thing and see if we think the same or whatever, because that'd be an interesting subplot for me and you. Yeah, we'd we'd have to have a think how we could do that because on I think on Facebook I only found we could only seem to add two options on a poll and then with you could do it with comments and and people responding to tweets I guess on Twitter you only had four options that that you could pick so yeah 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 good point good point actually. But yeah, the, the, the Dave, there's going to be worse. So at, at the moment, that is the worst film I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't, I don't have too many, to be honest, that that are down there with with Weird Science and Generation X. But uh, leave it with me. Hold my beer, as the saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'll take your challenge, <laughs> and I'll raise you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I- Okay, let's wrap it up there then. So, Chris, have you got any plugs for us? 
Yep. We've got a couple of podcasts myself and you are currently doing and producing, Dave. We've got the Chat Footy podcast, which is coming towards the end for the time being, which we've done predominantly and exclusively about the World Cup. Me, you and Ben uh, have been, you know, roundtable discussion after all the games, you know, lucky with England. So we're going to move that and transition it into the English Premiership for next season. We're just putting together what ideas and what the format's going to be. But give us a follow on Twitter at ChatFooty and on iTunes at ChatFooty Podcast. And the sister podcast to that is the ChatFooty Gossip Podcast, which is a short two to three minute podcast every day with all the latest transfer news and speculation. And again, iTunes, it's ChatFooty Gossip Podcast and on Twitter at ChatFooty Gossip. How about yourself, Dave? Yep, so we've got the Grassroots Coachcast, so all about coaching youth football or youth soccer. Again, while we've been uh, investing time in the Chat Footy podcast uh, focused on the World Cup, we've we've dropped the frequency of those, but as the World Cup's wrapping up now, we'll, we'll pick that up again uh, over the next couple of weeks. Good stuff, good stuff. And also, if people are getting a bit confused and they can't find the podcasts, if you go on iTunes and put in whatever entertainment network, they all come under that banner, which is uh, mine and Dave's network for the podcast. So you should be able to find it that way if you want to see what other podcasts we do under the same banner sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Dave, great stuff, Dave. So thanks for um, not ruining my weekend, but making me <laughs> you made me laugh today. And, and, and as much as it was quite a pessimistic review, it's also a review 30 years too late probably. But... Great subject matter, David. I like the little bit of researching and I'm looking forward to finding facts out about this for next week. I really am. There's some great facts going down. Yeah, yeah. Very good. So do you want to sign us out? I haven't got the energy, Dave. I'll be honest. I'll let, I'll let you. You can sign us out, Dave. It's only right because you, you knew this film and I obviously didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm off for a nice greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray. <laughs> and I'm going to throw myself up in the <laughs> Take care, everyone. Bye, Bye now. The Bootown's return. What would you little maniacs like to do first?